Black History Month. I'm helping. I'm helping. I'm helping you. <laughs> Greg, we're allies, okay? All right. And I just want people I just want to remind people decolonization is a metaphor and um just by talking about it, we've done enough. So, yes. um you know, we're we're part of the solution, not part of the problem. You're welcome. Yeah. So, yeah. Um John and I have had many offenses. However, they're not a multiplicity of of offenses including <laughs> colonialization. We have done growth. We have um mm-hmm. not done imperialism. We have not done um uh white fragility. We've done we've done a lot of things. I'd say if if anything we're we may be white, but we're definitely not fragile. I'd say we're pretty tough. Actually, uh, I was going to say the exact opposite. I was oh. like, "Please don't cancel me. I'm too fragile to handle that right now and I'm not in a good place." Okay. It's a I, pandemic. I'm and ready now be, more than ever, unity. <laughs> I'm ready to be canceled. I, I think oh. it's been great. Like, oh, you think you can cancel me? Guess what I'm doing? Log out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go live my life, and it's great. And you just come out, and when you're ready to come back, you just do an 11-minute apology video. <laughs> like, look, guys, <laughs> I've grown. Things have changed. I, I don't know what, what you you're th- alluding to. It could either be Kevin Spacey or somebody else. Uh <laughs> Uh, Chris D'Elia. <laughs> that's, Chris D'Elia. that's the latest right. one. He's, the latest he was one. A comedian. 11 minutes. Okay. <laughs> yes. They're for... always like, you have to do at least 10 or else the algorithm won't pick it up, you know? Yeah. Or else, and it also doesn't feel genuine if it's any shorter. So <laughs> there's a obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> What's more indicative of our time? The apology done in the notes app and then screenshotted or the apology video where you're just like square in the middle of the frame and you're just like looking straight on at the camera. What do you think is going to be the one that kind of typifies our age more yeah. in the future. John, that's the best question you've ever posed. And I think <laughs> Thank it <you>. is. <laughs> I, I do think it's the video because that's a whole genre to itself in the YouTube mm. community. I'm not sure how how much people are looking out for, like the again, to use that term, the multiplicity of offenses that people are doing, whether mm. they do uh, no growth or a white fragility or... <laughs> Because half half of the most popular YouTubers today have either like said the N word or done blackface <laughs> as a bit or something, and so have to they have to do a an apology video, um, mm. and so now it's a whole genre unto itself. Uh, Chris D'Elia, as far as I know, was not on YouTube, so the fact that he's well, no, brought he was... he's brought it to the mainstream. Uh, <laughs> what uh, he's you're right. Uh, it's it's a bit surprising for a comedian of his renown to do something as generic as the apology video for, you know, going after underage girls. Really probably not the best uh, solution well, for this said, problem. He also said renown. And I think the only thing that he's renowned for is co-starring on one sitcom, being a guest on, like, five podcasts, and basically having his career handed to him by a dad who's, who's Yeah, okay, fair point, fair yeah. point. You're absolutely right. Okay, in terms of, you're right, other stand-up comedians and certainly not you know i consider myself like a alt comedy snub so you know obviously there was also that when we when we kind of look back at it we'll also be like oh there was also this backlash because he was you know he was of a certain caliber he was a dane cook type and so he was just like ready for the picket ready ready. at least dane cook had a memorable bit or two (laughs) i mean i've seen i've i think i've seen we were just bored one night, and we did actually end up watching one of his specials. And it wasn't bad. It was just wasn't very memorable because his, his material is very just kind of like rote and, and patented. You look at his face, and you're like, oh, okay, yes, this is the kind of comedian that would come out, comedy that would come out of this face. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> and that hair, too. Disgusting. 
Ugh, get him out of here. I'm, I'm glad he's off the... Why is he trying to come back? Get off my screen. Him and... While we're on the subject, again, sorry, this isn't the way to spend uh, the, the last few weeks of Black History Month. Excuse me. But um, uh, he's he's attempting to just come back into people's good graces in spite of... Um, and not not exactly praying, but uh, like communicating with underage girls in a, like a sexual fashion. Like I guess mm. you could call it praying. I don't know what the exact term is because I don't care. I'm not informed. What I am informed on is the, the career of Brett Ratner. Uh, who? Oh no! I yes, didn't even hear about this. Yes. Oh gosh. He, he was uh, canceled in the midst of the Me Too movement. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of people also came out of the woodwork to accuse him of a um, very. Uh, abusive and, and sexually yes very um sexually explicit like uh untoward conduct towards his actresses and um he was subsequently canceled all of his projects are but now it's in the light of four years later <laughs> like you know he served he served his prison sentence and now a uh, variety and deadline and all these other like trades were reporting that he's coming back with a new project oh no and, and obviously the social media responses has been um <laughs> not welcoming of such a thing because um, that because it's it's an unusual thing like i like what is it about brett ratner like he must have skeleton he must have he must know where the bodies are buried to be because anybody it's not like brett ratner is like is like the voice of a generation <laughs> like i i can know and i think yeah like, like going Louis back CK to the whole... has memorable bits that's why people want yes. still want to see him like woody allen is a legendary filmmaker in spite of his like terrible conduct like what is it about Brett Ratner or say Crystalia that's causing people and I think it's because they have dirt on other people and oh. are somehow leveraging that leveraging it to maintain their careers I mean I think it's just simple PR I do think it's a calculus of like it's been enough time people are willing yeah. are ready to forgive the other kind of thing that happened this past week is I, I know you're definitely not familiar with this but um, last season on Drag Race there was a contestant where there was some kind of untoward behavior that was also kind of brought to light and she was like disqualified halfway through the the um you know season um and now uh she is trying to like kind of not make a comeback but like come out and do a few interviews and be like this is my side of the story and and people aren't obviously not having it so like i do think that there is a certain amount like there's some slimy pr people out there who are like you know consultants quote unquote who are like yes yes after enough time we'll <laughs> we'll be able to milk you dry once again we'll be able to get that career started again and we'll be earning our 25% yes <laughs> 25% very ge- very generous john um well, I, don't I don't know i don't know what I don't, I don't know what these pr vampires do i don't yeah. know what these agents really make i know it's a lot it's yes. more than they deserve but yeah. <laughs> well also they are they are really struggling right now um mm. because um there there's another big story in variety about all the failures of PR that have been gone on lately. Because we just mentioned too between Chris Dilley and Brett Ratner, there is also um, Gina Carano, uh, Gina Carano, whatever her name is, being dropped by everybody. Uh, yeah. Army Hammer being dropped by everybody for something. I don't, I can't even like <laughs> even begin to wrap my head around what's going on there. Um, Justin Timberlake also being like 20 years later. I'm sorry for the Janet Jackson, uh, Britney Spears thing or whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's really a no-win situation for, for poor JT, because it's like, he can either, like, stay silent and, you know, like, look complacent and everything, yeah. or apologize now and be like, a little too late, Justin, so, yes. you know, I, I, I don't blame him, yeah. or, well, I do blame him, you know, he's he's an asshole, but, yes. <laughs> and I blame PR, too, because it's a scummy profession to begin with, and right, made absolutely. even worse by a brand new world that they're, they're handling, uh, uh, 
atrociously. They're they're not handling go. this stuff very well. Hence no. hence why you see these scandals. So <laughs> yes, they're all monsters. Every yeah. single one of them. Hollywood yeah. is a Hollywood is a terrible bitch goddess. I believe yeah. <laughs> that's what Kyle Reiner used to say. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> now, John, I'm going to segue this. Are you ready? Mm. Okay. So all brace right, yourself. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. brace yourself. <laughs> right. I I am curious how RuPaul's Drag Race actually addressed these concerns with one of their contestants' conduct. Like, was it done? tastefully and like sweep it under the rug like title cards or was it actually integrated into the 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 storyline of the show title cards because the season had already been it had already been filmed and so then that's when all the allegations came to light and so they had title cards at the beginning of every episode to remind everybody hey she is no longer in contention which also made it um a bit difficult and they also selectively also started editing her out and so that was also the kind of big problem with that season is the fact that she ended up in the top three, I believe. Oh, I don't geez. know. I didn't. I didn't watch. I, I didn't watch that season. I haven't watched Drag Race in like four years. Okay. So <laughs> I, I was bringing just, this up. I thought you were, you came with again. It was testimony. part of the. It was part of the conversation. It was part of canceling, and so that's okay, why right. I brought it up. Um, you know, again, we're we're on the pulse, Greg. We're fingering the pulse of the world right now. Okay. okay? Yes. When people you come and I here, are doing a lot of fingering, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> when people come to us, they want to know what's going on in the world. That's why we call ourselves aspiring snobs. It makes total sense. Okay. Yes. You can tell that a PR person picked that name out for us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We contracted a PR firm, uh, to, and we've been canceled before. Again, I relish it. Mm. Um, I am John, and I'm here with my very special guest, my twin brother, the only <laughs> white boy you know who did it. Period. <laughs> Jonathan. What? <laughs> First it's, of all, you, you said you're Jonathan, so I thought you were no. You said no. I said I'm Greg, and you're Jonathan. All right. Okay, fine. Yeah. It's not like we're recording this. It's not like we can check the tape. Yeah. <laughs> I am John, and I'm here with my very special guest, my twin brother. Anyway, no, yes. you're the only white boy who did it. Like like uh, Joe Biden in another mm. one of his his great sundowning gaffes that uh, <laughs> we're not allowed to to look at her. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Okay, that's on record. <laughs> no, that wasn't a gap. That was just hilarious. <laughs> Greg, the black community loves Joe. Okay, and and we mm-hmm. love him too for it. Yes, All right. yes, we do. <laughs> we do indeed. So the reason I, I wanted to ask about dragways is because um, there's history, and then there's like how do you how do you craft it in an entertaining way? How do you take history mm-hmm. and make it make it entertaining? And and it speaks something to me that I'm more interested in how they take history and 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 mm-hmm. and turn it into some kind of a, a creative means. And uh, that's that's kind of the subject of the film that we watched this week, the the classic that we're catching up on. We're of course talking about uh, the 1992 Spike Lee joint, Malcolm X. Right, sir. Hey, man, Drop me off in Harlem. Any place in Harlem. There's someone waiting there who makes it seem like heaven up in Harlem. I don't want your Dixie. You can keep your Dixie. There's no one down in Dixie who can take me away from. And here's Joe Lewis back in Harlem. They're celebrating. They're going crazy. They're dancing and cheering. They're hanging from the street signs. Everybody's out. Everybody's having a great time. Listen to them roar. No way to talk about Spike Lee without bringing up a few words that we associate with Spike Lee. Reserve. Resigned. Calculated. Quiet filmmaking. (laughs) 
not ostentatious, not showy, <laughs> not histrionic whatsoever. No, just he's capable of those things. <laughs> I think we'll I think we'll get into it a little bit. You, you, you again. You, you white boys who did it. Um, period. <laughs> You don't know like the ways in which how far a filmmaker can go, and, and whether Spike Lee went all the way with this material. We're of course talking about um, a, a biographical film about Malcolm X, a very incendiary figure uh, in American history, a, a civil rights champion um, who also said some very controversial things. And and so I I was curious what and like you said in in the hands of a filmmaker who who's also capable of some very incendiary material and and. Um, not not afraid to provoke, and yeah. so like what what would the film turn out as? And so this is a a three and a half hour epic. Um, <laughs> no no studio would dare allow allow him to like put anything on the cutting room floor. Uh, also there was a well they 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 tried and then um, some some people came in and financing it's fine it's fine whatever <laughs> we'll get into the production history later. But um, this is a film that stars Denzel Washington and directed by Spike Lee, and so like. I think we have the same question that we had when we look back at the movie Selma, uh, which was obviously about uh, Martin Luther King, and whether like our our examination of this figure, like whether it can live up to the true story or whether it can live up to history. Um, and so I'm going to put you on the spot, John. Tell us <laughs> in one word or less. Um, hopefully zero. <laughs> well, I mean, I actually uh, like again. I was kind of bringing that up because I do think that. Spike Lee's kind of style lends itself well to this material as opposed mm-hmm. to like because again he was a more incendiary figure so it obviously requires a more incendiary take um, even though I think this movie does eventually kind of like wrestle with those ideas a little bit more than people want to probably give it credit for um, you know obviously a movie like Selma kind of you know deserves that quiet dignity that you know Martin Luther King uh, carried himself with yeah. as opposed to Malcolm X who you know was a firebrand for most of his career shall we say um, and I think you know, Spike Lee, you know, directs this with such a plum. you know, his, his whole kind of style is very kind of chaotic and random. And also I, you, you talk about like what's left on the cutting room floor. Like I do kind of wonder, has anyone asked like, Sp- uh, Spike, what's your movie about? And him just responding everything. <laughs> yes. You know, I haven't seen all his movies uh, from the handful of them. Like part of me was wondering, like, did you really have to cover that topic as well? Because you've already got enough like big meaty chunks that you could have just kind of like whittled it down to but no um the one i'm thinking of specifically is like Chirac, which could have operated like one half of its in and of itself as a fine movie that would have been fine but then he had to like layer on top of it this whole other thing so i and i think he's probably doing the same thing like this is a biopic but also you know it's a it's meant to kind of invoke and carry his ideas out there. It's almost meant to be like kind of propagandistic at the same time, but also not, you know, it's like, it's a lot of things. This movie's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot of things. You're right. And I, I came away from it very impressed, but I did want it to go a little bit further. So let's start at the very beginning. Further? Um, it's three hours and 22 minutes. <laughs> no, not in terms of length. In terms of, let's say, revolutionary action. In terms of, you know, again, eradicating the white devil. Uh, oh, like you and okay, me. got yes. it. <laughs> yeah. no, okay, got it. <laughs> so let's start at the very beginning. Um, like two provocative images. Like the opening credits are overlaid uh, across a, an American flag. And then the American flag is consumed by fire, and then revealing the movie's title X. And um, I, th- I believe at the time that was like a that was that case was before the Supreme Court whether burning the American flag was um, protected by free speech or something. Um, so that's one thing there. And then 
another thing he loves to do this too like you mentioned Chirac and black Klansmen. like he loves to take history and give it like a inject some contemporary like quality to it and here in the middle of those uh, opening credits is the footage of the beating of rodney king by the uh, by the los angeles police department so like already and <sighs> oh how things have changed yes <laughs> it, well exactly we laugh because we lament over yeah the, yeah the sad state of things and that's that is one topic that's covered here is like police brutality and and basically the 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 white state um, of the United States, basically um, <laughs> bearing down on, on our poor black uh, sisters and brothers. So that that's another thing too. So it starts off very provocatively, um, but then we also like get into tone because we start when uh, with Malcolm Little when he's about twenty and he's a hustler, and it's him and his friend Shorty in like zoot suits, and it's almost like a music video, like the way they're like dressed up in these very loud, oversized suits, and then do yeah. a, a huge swing swing number that literally looks like a a. a a music video and i thought like and i i was actually waiting in anticipation i'm like yes this is this is very well done in terms of like it, it, doing this like kind of empty spectacle and joy and energy because later i know this is going to contrast with how harsh and like uh of a uh, real and uh, what a firebrand that malcolm x was yes um, yeah. yeah no like the beginning part is very important because again it's like contrasting later with you know his like militant phase where you know he's dressing in fine suits and you know it's very like stark and black and white compared to like the rest of this early half i think also what it reminded me a lot of this first third was like um raging bull because it's very like impressionistic it's like it's not important that you capture all the details or all the kind of like notes of what's happening it's not important that the viewer knows like specifically who this person is and who that person is it's just you know understanding like the emotion of what's happening like just getting kind of the the um the elevated artistic level of what's happening where it's like oh yeah he's obviously getting in fights with people even though like the audience isn't privy to exactly what they're fighting Let me tell you about black history. We are the original man. The first men on earth were black. They ruled, and there wasn't a white face anywhere. But they teach us that we lived in caves and swung from trees. That's a lie. Black men never did that. We were a race of kings when the white man crawled around on all fours over the hills of Europe. Do they know who they are? Do you know where you came from? What's your name? No, that's the name of the slave masters who own your family. You don't even know who you are. You're nothing, less than nothing. Who are you? Look, hey, shit. <laughs> All right, I ain't Malcolm Little, I ain't Red. I damn sure ain't Satan. That's right, so who are you? We are a nation, the tribe of Shabazz, lost in this wilderness called North America. Also revealing something culturally because we're introduced to Malcolm Little when he's getting his hair conked. Mm. Now, con- now, I I went down a rabbit hole with this conking your hair. Basically, imagine like um, Sammy Davis Jr.'s, Jr.'s hair. Like mm. black folks have like curly hair. Sometimes it's described as nappy or something. And mm. back in the day, like when this is set the 1940s. They were like, I, I want to, you know, adopt the white hairstyles at the time. And how they did that was actually putting in, like, a very dangerous treatment of literally putting in lye, acid, into their hair so that it would straighten out. And so that's what the, he's, like, getting his, his hair conked for the very first time. And he's like, I, it's starting to burn or whatever, and I want to look like a tough guy, but also, like, I, I'm, I'm just a young man at this point. And 
And so his hair comes out. But this becomes like a very important plot point when Malcolm X does get radicalized and realize like, you know, these are all like affectations of culture that are designed to like harm and kind of suppress us a little bit. So, oh, yeah. I, yeah, so it's it's like a it, it was like revelatory on that front, too, like even cultural, like obviously we'll get into the political later, but even small things like just the hairstyle, for instance, like and also. <laughs> I mean, if only he if only Gorilla Glue had existed at this time, he would have known <laughs> and he could have like had a better alternative. But sadly, right. no, he had to. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, John, for bringing up the Gorilla Glue thing. Like, I, I, our well, again, was... it's another like people don't understand people like black people have complicated relationships with their hair. Thanks to, you know, white culture kind of imploring them that it's like, no, that's not the way hair used to be. I I've also seen uh, Chris Rock's documentary, Good Hair. So, you know, that yeah. was also very So informative. as have I, so. all right? I'm just... <laughs> yes. It's, it's an important cultural artifact. I was just, uh, I was annoyed at the fact that you brought up Gorilla Grill, which is like bringing up um, sea shanties or something in terms of... <laughs> Great. Something People that'll remember this for us forever, okay? People will remember this forever. All right. I'm sure. <laughs> sure they will. I'm sure they will. But in any event, um, we see him as a hustler. He hooks up with a guy named Archie, who's played by Delroy Lindo. And um, that, another great scene, like when he plays with fantasy a little bit. Like um, he also works as he also works as a server on a train car. And we see him kind of act up a little bit, like uh, like he plays like he plays the stereotypes of a of a of a jovial like black man, like eager to serve. And there is one scene like where he like quickly fantasizes about shoving like dessert in one of the guy's face, and then it cuts back and it's actually reality. And of course, he's just playing up this part and not actually not actually wanting to enact the uh, the violent revenge that he's so justly. <laughs> <laughs> that he, I'd say, justly wants and, and deserves to to some extent, but uh, yeah, like that's that's what I was most interested in is like how is filmmaking going to enhance the history behind this? And I feel like this first third it really does that. A with like starting out like really exaggerating the the ridiculousness of the zoot suits and the swing dancing that's going on, um, as well as the uh, the crimes like um, with the Archie character like having him be this 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 figure who's like uh who's like dead serious and like can quiet a whole room just with like one look or something you know <laughs> um but it's not until like um shorty and uh Malcolm Little get pinched and then Malcolm goes to prison and then hooks up with this guy named Baines and then starts to learn about the Nation of Islam, uh, the work of Elijah Muhammad, that, they, that he then gets raz- uh, radicalized and adopts the name Malcolm X. And I feel like here, like things get, or at least after that, that thing, I feel like things get a little more dramatically inert. And it's just the, the filmmaking is just committed to his words and just his speeches, basically. Um, I See, but I kind of preferred that. I think the okay. second act works better because again we get that contrast of like that kind of high energy uh like i said impressionistic like and i think when it kind of goes into the second half it becomes much more kind of like disciplined and we can engage in his ideas and kind of the larger dialogue around what's happening around his life and what this movement was you know like you know he starts to talk to uh, elijah muhammad and you know like starts to revere him and then we you know we find out that elijah muhammad is not everything he's cracked up to be as well and we see kind of the infighting between that group and what's happening like like the the scope kind of opens up wider and so i do appreciate the fact that the filmmaking kind of like calms down at that point and the camera becomes very steady and wait a minute john mind your words all right you said the filmmaking calms down and it's showing discipline all right i, <laughs> I will not have you policing St- spike lee's words okay i oh. i guess i'm on the opposite end of the spectrum like i wanted it to stay the style to stay elevated um mm. 
and well and maybe it's just the material like again we're talking about the life of malcolm x and it's and now it's through political organizing again he's he's speaking and like the it's not like technically action or say mm-hmm. like it's not the action of say in a movie like selma like where you know the, there's this dramatic walk across the bridge and then there's a violent outbreak the first time they try to do it like they're, they're, it's not really that instead it's like this talk show appearance or this confrontation with um with a prison chaplain um, where he confronts him with the image imagery of Jesus and why he's depicted as blonde haired and blue eyed. Yeah. Um, but I still, still think there's like enough like stylistically going on. Like we cut a lot to like, you know, black and white or eight millimeter footage to kind of like break up these conversations. Like, you know, it'll be filmed, you know, as if, you know, it's through Spike Lee's eyes and then it'll be like, Oh, now it looks like it's, you know, on the TV for the rest of America to view. And so it's like, there's still enough going on. You're right. It's not as energetic as that first third, but I thought like, I enjoyed watching the, the second uh, half a lot more because again it was engaging in more in those kind of ideas and not you know the personal history or whatnot before there was any such thing as a jew or a christian we were black people in fact before there was any such place as america we were black and after america has long passed from the scene there will still be black people i'm going to tell you like it really is every election year these politicians are sent up here to pacify. They're sent here and set up here by the white man. This is what they do. They send drugs in Harlem down here to pacify us. They send alcohol down here to pacify us. They send prostitution down here to pacify us. Why, you can't even get drugs in Harlem without the white man's permission. You can't get prostitution in Harlem without the white man's permission. You can't get gambling in Harlem without the white man's permission. Every time you break the seal on that liquor bottle, that's a government seal you're breaking. Oh, I say it, I say it again. You've been had. You've been took. You've been hoodwinked. Bamboozled. Let us stray. Run amok. This is what he does. Okay, I was just uh, maybe a little upset in the in the ways that it's so obvious or expected. Like, there's one, mm. um, if anybody has an image of Malcolm X, the most famous one is the one in Life magazine where he's brandishing a um, AK-47 and peering out the window or something. I mm-hmm. believe this is at the stage when his um, he had left the Nation of Islam organization and they were threatening his life and God God knows what else the FBI and CIA were trying yeah. to do to him too. Like, and but the way it portrays that is like it. There's some flashes and it's black and white, and then it fades to color and the action resumes or something. And I, I was like, that's that's a little on the <laughs> yeah. nose, right? I mean, no, yeah, I think he kind of cheats a little bit because yeah. there's also the scene where he's praying in um, praying in Mecca. And, uh, you know, he's like in his, you know, suit and he's surrounded by this gigantic red room and he's alone in it. And that's another famous shot from Malcolm X's life that he recreates for film. And so it's like, I, I kind of appreciate the fact that he's being histrionic and literally pulling these moments from history, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, com- you know, do the complete picture. But also it's kind of cheating, Spike. Okay, <laughs> come up with your own images, damn it. <laughs> Yeah, I just thought it was obvious just to take those historical images. The other, the other thing I didn't like is... Um, uh, he gets married during the second act, like at this period mm. of his life. He meets his wife, and um, they and they have which um, I thought it was cute. I thought together. that was cute. And it's here as every '90s movies ha- uh, as every '90s movies m- must. <laughs> we have to have the scene where it's like, oh, like oh, uh, baby, you're working too hard, and it's like I've got something to do. I've got something important to do. Damn it! And we've got the uh, and. It, again, there's not enough dramatically. So, what's the most obvious, like, dramatic thing we have to do? Like, 
trouble at home, like domestic. Uh, yeah, domestic. but it's also like again the 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 stakes are much higher for her because like she's the one who has to deal with all the abusive phone calls. She's the one who has to deal with all the death threats. So uh, like I thought that it was kind of like more more justified to have those kind of like conversations about why are you going away for so long like deal with your family at home because you know they've got their own stuff to deal with obviously mm-hmm. instead yeah. of just like oh you know he needs his tonsils out and you're not here you know it's like <laughs> the stakes are much higher for Muhammad uh, 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 Malcolm X's family obviously so yeah it's interesting because I don't think she brings up the fact that he could be he's out on the road all the time and could be committing infidelities as far as we know um, yeah but that this is contrasted with the leader Elijah Muhammad, and he does have to go in and investigate. And this is true to life; like this, this was part of his break with the Nation of Islam organization and the leader and its leader Elijah Muhammad. Is that um, we do, we do get signs of some problems with the organization in that Elijah Muhammad like um, kind of um, doesn't believe in equality for women. Um, mm, there are rumors going around that he investigates personally about like <laughs> about uh, mistreating secretaries and again committing all these infidelities and, and uh, pregnancies out of wedlock and things like that. And so I, d- I would like maybe like if we could I know this is obviously the life of Malcolm X, but if we delved into how he contrasted with Elijah Muhammad's character, or the character of Elijah Muhammad, at least as we see in this movie, a little bit more. Um, I think there's only one scene where um, he first meets his wife. Like, they go on this quasi-date. I mean, she's she's really attracted to him, but she comes to him, like, wanting to learn, and so they go to the museum, and then, and then at the Steiner, and and we cut back to his conversations with Elijah Muhammad, and he... And we see the ways in which um, how he's relaying the information differently versus how he receives it with Elijah versus how he relays it to a woman he's attracted to, like kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's the only time that it happens, basically. But, you know, it, it's great there. I just wish we'd kept it up for the other like hour and a half that we have with this movie. Um <laughs> Well, we need to have all the important scenes, like him rebuking that white student who comes up to him, <laughs> being like, what can I do? And he's like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that that apparently was a bit apo- apocryphal, and I do want to end with that, because we are, we are John, you and I are basically those white students, and we're, we're <laughs> eager to help, but we don't know what exactly to do, and, and apparently, um, in real life, that uh, something like that did happen. And then Malcolm X on reflecting on it. Again, this is in real life. It's not covered in the movie, but um, did like um, I don't know, like regret um, his response to her, and and did come up with some ways in which she could help, and wish he would. He he basically relayed um, information more positively on how. Um, well, no, and I think the movie does kind of bear that out. Like maybe it doesn't have a specific reconciliation scene for that, but it's like it shows that as he went on, he realized that his kind of like militantism was not helpful for the cause like to to brandish all white people as devils you know obviously was not very conducive to you know and now granted he also didn't like say like we need unity guys like he didn't give like yeah. road <laughs> answers like that either but no, you know John, obviously it may, not, it may not have been helpful but it was a thousand percent correct <laughs> okay um, <laughs> yeah. no but same, he got same with softened. his other same with his other hugely controversial statement like um commenting on the JFK assassination that this is just America's imperial uh, chickens coming home to roost. Again, a million percent correct. Absolutely 100%. I know maybe maybe the timing of that that news wasn't wasn't what America wanted to hear, but he's absolutely right. Um. <laughs> I just like the fact that it, it kind of it, it demonstrates that, that Malcolm X was a character of many contrasts. Okay? <laughs> and... <laughs>
And that, you know, like, obviously it would have been easy for him to just kind of focus on the firebrand aspect of him, but yeah. he, he eventually kind of shows that his legacy is a little bit more complicated and that, you know, he also was willing to change his mind. But it's also kind of, it's also interesting to contrast that with how dangerous he was perceived still from the, obviously, like, he doesn't focus on it too much, but we obviously know the FBI and the CIA are following him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they end up, it's implied that they end up helping, um, uh, the uh, uh, the Islam Brotherhood? No, in, the, in Nation, Nation of Islam. Of Islam. <laughs> yeah, oh God, I'm so sorry. Uh, the Nation of Islam, you know, hel- they helped perpetrate this assassination, unfortunately. So, Well, that's the thing. That's what I miss is that it's insinuated. And I feel like, it, mm. it could, granted, that's all we have based on history is insinuation that the FBI and these other government organizations basically like led on the the assassination and ulti- the ultimate assassination of um, Malcolm X at the Audubon Ballroom. Um, on this day, um, I, sh- I should probably point out, uh, trivia heads out there, I apologize, but we are recording on the 56th anniversary to the day that uh, Malcolm X was assassinated um, in Harlem. Uh, not intended on our part. But but anyway, I, I, I wish that, based on the Rodney King footage that we saw earlier, that Spike Lee would go all the way with like basically mm. stating that, like yes, like basically the FBI carried out uh, an, an assassination of this important figure. Um, but I, I do like the, the last third of the movie because at this point he has left the Nation of Islam because of his yeah. um, because of his objections to Elijah Muhammad. and the filmmaking picks up momentum again. It, like again, it kind of takes in more of that DNA from the first third where it gets a lot more kind of like quick cuts and like again very music video esque. So yeah, well a lot more stylized and I I feel like it's reflecting a lot more model and tone because his life is threatened by mm-hmm. d- directly by the nation of islam uh indirectly by the fbi and cia and all these other government organizations and but there there's a lot of like great stylistic touches and it feels like it's leading up to this obviously dreadful event like um that like he, he and his followers are all in the all in the car and sam cook's uh, great song like a change gonna come is playing but it's still like very maudlin like they like as if like through the eyes of history we know that change isn't gonna come soon enough or well enough for them and then there's another shot where instead of him walking down the street to the ballroom it denzel washington is on a dolly and the camera's like Mm. following him and and it's almost like a dream like he's just floating down the street instead of actually walking like those those are the touches i wanted more to have great filmmaking really enhance or really like kind of speak to history even if it's even if it obviously doesn't look real like you're floating down the street um towards towards your inevitable death like uh, i felt like it, it was really it it really captured me as an audience member and made me like love this for lack of a better term character more and really like get into like who he was not only as a as a figure in this movie but also a an historical figure so thank you Assalamu alaikum. Get your hand out of my pocket! Get out of my pocket, nigga! Brother, please hold. Calm down, please. Brother. No, no! I mean, and then also, we, again, like after the assassination, we do get 
it's pretty much all archival footage and at that point and you know like he really kind of hits home how important this figure was in terms of the movement and how important he was in terms of black history and you know we see scenes of kids from africa saying they are malcolm x like how did you feel about like that last touch no so i i liked it a lot because granted it's very contemporary like because Mm -hmm. at that point I think just one year prior, like apartheid was finally done away with in South Africa. And there was at least this promise of equality um, for black South Africans. And so he's combining history with like more contemporary stuff in a very stylistic way, like taking the Rodney King footage in the opening credits. I like that a lot. And like the fact that he could book um, Nelson Mandela um, (laughs) to deliver a fire, uh, a, a, a speech to these kids and, and also make it very uh, educational. I, I think the other thing, the other surprising thing is this is rated PG thirteen, and it mm. did feel like somehow like appropriate to show in a in a um, in say a, a middle school or high school class. Um, yeah, because it does kind of capture, yeah, like again, like it does a really good job about wrestling with the ideas and the rhetoric that Malcolm X was talking about. Yeah, and you know it's not you know completely one sided. It's obviously in his in his you know in his in his corner, but you know it 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 obviously shows that you know there was a lot of nuance to him and a lot of nuance to these arguments as well. And you know they came obviously from a basis of truth somewhere. So, like yeah, it's it's a very strong movie. I appreciated it. Uh, I don't think I appreciated it as much as you did, but I'm a racist deep down, so (laughs) I guess it's my fault. I've got a lot of growing to do. I'm setting up my notes app right now for my apology. (laughs) No, John, the video. Oh, you're right, the video. Look down the barrel. Let's talk ellipses. (laughs) (laughs) Or about that. Like, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) No, maybe, and I think it's... um, Gosh, the movie. Uh, looking at this movie thirty years on, like I think I did want it to be more radical because one thing that about these civil rights leaders, like uh, following the passage of the Civil Rights Act, uh, Mal- Martin Luther King wanted to wage a war on poverty and basically mm-hmm. upending the system that not only oppresses uh, black and brown folks but also like just poor people in general. Uh, I believe Malcolm X, like viewed himself as a communist now spike lee is not those things <laughs> we should be mm. we should be clear so like he's making a commercial product and also like casting himself and being a public figure and so it, it like his his aims might be like a little bit different or again it's it's 1991 it's not exactly it's not that like bull connor isn't in the streets like committing violence it's, instead it's a police so, like we don't know who bull connor is like in today <laughs> the police is nothing but bull connors but uh you know i, I looking at it the eyes of current history i did want it to be a little bit more radical and incendiary um well no and that's the other thing i wonder is like and i think i'm kind of injecting too much of the extra textural aspect of it where it's like i do wonder how much spike lee does obviously i think he reveres malcolm x but i don't think he agrees with him 100 percent because yeah. i think it's very telling he casts himself as his best friend you know shorty and at one point shorty does say this cat's gone crazy yeah. <laughs> like even he admits <laughs> that you know malcolm x said some stuff that was meant to be you know kind of insane kind of radical yeah and later he comes to see him speak but admits like i'm not ready to join the nation of islam yeah he doesn't even really change engage. his hair at this point yeah he still's got the conk haircut like Mm-hmm. in terms of like using visuals to shorthand like where characters are but yeah I, but again like i can only look at the movie we have and i did appreciate it felt like it lived up i did appreciate it felt like it lived up to history like it mm-hmm. was it did live up to the history of malcolm x in, in maybe ways that say a movie like selma doesn't um or it or it it tried to 
it it changed enough and and really made and really brought history to life for me and made me appreciate the figure of Malcolm X more. Um, so, and if that's the goal, then like mission accomplished. So. I'm Malcolm X. 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 I am 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 Malcolm X. As brother Malcolm said, we declare. Our right on this earth to be a man, to be a human being, to be given the rights of a human being, to be respected as a human being in this society. On this earth, in this day, which we intended to bring into existence. By any means. Mission accomplished. Yes. <laughs> Great way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking, again, this is from our generation. We're talking about George W. Bush. People may not remember he was president one time. And, Wait, um, really? <laughs> yes. Yes. And he led, uh, and he killed. Um, going to be generous and say a million Iraqis and declared mission accomplished and yeah that's so and he was like super popular his whole term though right his two terms yeah and he was super absolutely. popular yes, absolutely. and he was see, a hero mission, and he's known for his paintings now yeah see mission accomplished behind him yeah and he's friends with Ellen so he's cool okay yeah. <laughs> so he's friends cool. with Ellen and Michelle yeah all right I'll tell you what John he didn't he wasn't a demagogue he didn't he didn't just spout out lies he only spouted out a few big lies that caused mm. that caused a massive boondoggle and huge loss of life all right not not like the uncouth man who lies <laughs> I'm sorry. Are, I'm sorry. Are we getting political? Did a politics happen? <laughs> I think so, Greg. I think right. so. Well, let's get to something slightly less political, and that is award season movies. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Ugh. Let's talk about more movies featuring black people, <laughs> featuring Malcolm X in particular. Of course. Yeah. Because for this week's spotlight, drop a cue. Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. We are going to be discussing a recent release. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, One Night in Miami, which is uh, a little less uh, uh, committed to history, as Malcolm X is. But uh, uh, it basically posits uh, during uh, Sonny, or uh, excuse me, uh, Liston Ali won, and the mm-hmm. four big figures in, were in Miami at the same time. And basically, a, a playwright has taken this um, event in history and imagined, like, what if we slapped all four of these guys together? Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali. Sam Sam Cook, Jim Brown. Like, what if what if we put four of them together in a hotel room and just let it let them hash it out or whatever, <laughs> or party, <laughs> figure out or... this whole civil rights situation, huh? Yes. <laughs> yes. So this this is based on a play, though, correct? Uh, John, how could you tell? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have a I have a kind of ambivalent relationship to movies that are based on plays because most of the time I hate them, but then. You know, you have those rare instances like My Dinner with Andre, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. So mm-hmm. it's like, it, it takes a delicate hand to adapt from stage to screen. And I don't know if they did a 
fantastic job this time, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, John, how dare you besmirch the the other key element we have to look at is this, that this movie was directed by one of our favorites, Regina King, a.k.a. Regina, our queen, Regina. <laughs> Regina de King, yes. Work, girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we love her, obviously. And, um, yeah, this is um, she's directed a lot of TV, but this is her first uh, feature-length film. And... Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I I felt like trapped in that hotel room a bit. I should say mm-hmm. it has a very strong opening. Um, first, we see this uh, this heavyweight bout with um, Muhammad Ali is in England, and we actually see him like again. He's he's super confident as as he would be or whatever. But we actually see him get knocked down by a, a pretty inferior opponent or something. And then we see and then we cut to Sam Cooke. He also he's also got troubles. Like um he's he's always dreamed of performing at the Coca-Cabana, but then has a terrible set. And that's compelling because, again, we're seeing basically parallel lives here or something, or we're seeing these great figures. And we're also seeing them in situations where they don't succeed, which I think is uncommon for like a lot of biopics, which can be hagiographic and, and really yeah. elevate the person. But like here, we're allowed to see them like, you know, kind of uh, uh, stumble a little bit on their on their journey. No, my only... My only complaint about the opening act is that it just kind of like takes too long. I was like, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? I'm like, I, you know, fire, part of, for fireworks they were, huh? I, I mean, like, I think part of the problem with this movie is that it is kind of t- tackling figures that are so prominent in our culture and like so so kind of larger life. Yeah. And it like to kind of like spend so much time setting him up. It's like, oh, he was that he was heading towards heavyweight champion of the world sam cook he hadn't had his big hit yet like jim brown he was almost done with the nfl like i was just like okay let's let's move on let's get to it we already know this (laughs) that's well here's where i was a little disappointed like what they move on to is basically a night at a motel this is where malcolm x is staying um it's not exactly it's not exactly the lap of luxury that Ali Cook and Jim Brown at this point, who are all like hugely successful at this point, like are expecting. Um, but it's here it is where it becomes the play, and I feel like all the characters get flattened into just like one idea. <laughs> like you know, yeah. Malcolm X is the is the one talking revolution, and Sam Cook's the one that just wants to party. Like <laughs> yeah, this is the this is the problem with you know with the you know kind of a da- like there's too many plays out there. Who's like, well, here's my philosophy, and yeah. I will espouse it to you right now. It's yeah. like, well, one minute, good sir, I have a differing philosophy, and I will explain it to you now. And because I it's think... a play, and that's all we have is like the exactly words and one person saying them. <laughs> and I think also what's doing it no favor is like again larger than life figures so they're all trying to do these affects of these people and so it can't help but feel kind of hollow unfortunately even though they're all great actors obviously and they're directed by an actor so i was like kind of hoping that we'd get a lot more nuance i think because you know they're playing these larger than life characters you know these real people who really existed like it, it flattens them and they they feel like too much that they're putting on affects and they're trying to capture like the the nuances of the, you know, their speech patterns. And they even make a point of it, you know, where it's like Malcolm X, oh, you're playing up the whole, like, blackness because, you know, you think you're too light-skinned. So you feel like you need to, like, act blacker. You know, you're deepening your voice and things like that. Um, I, I disagree a little bit. I, I loved Eli Gorey as Muhammad Ali. I thought he was great. And, like... Oh, I, yeah, he totally captures, you know, yeah. his, his braggadocio, you know, like his his, <laughs> yeah, whole, that, his that, whole attitude. Like, looking in the mirror, he can't help but, you know, admire yeah, himself. That, that was incredible, but you're right, it gets flattened. Or, like, what I what I lamented is um, there's a long protracted discussion between, like, Malcolm X and his philosophy. Like, you know, we need to talk mm-hmm. about revolution. And Sam Cooke, hey, I just want to party. There's a long stretch where the best part of the movie, Eli Gorey, Malcolm, like, Cassius Clay, or sorry, Muhammad Ali, doesn't talk for, like, 40 minutes. I'm like, what, where the <laughs> hell is this guy like 
Well, it's also like it's so unfortunate that you got Jim Brown there, and Jim Brown is a, a football player, so he's not a philosopher. <laughs> well, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, he he could tell you obviously the fact that he's there is because like part of what they're arguing over is like how much should we rely on the white man for our jobs and you know like at a certain point like both him and sam cook like kind of rely on a larger white power infrastructure for their livelihoods yeah so like that's part of the reason why he's there but he also he's like he's not particularly deep about it um he's no, just kind of jim brown again, speaks those things yeah he just doesn't in this movie like <laughs> yeah exactly and you know it's also a weird time and he's like transitioning to hollywood where you know he's gonna you know release his contract so he can you know start acting in movies more and, and like i was hoping they would at least mention brian's song but they didn't so <laughs> yeah uh but I, I think one problem is we're stuck in that motel room and again the characters get so flattened like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when again they um sam cook and malcolm x have this big disagreement um but malcolm relays the story and we cut away to this flashback where sam cook is performing in boston uh malcolm x from boston like you know it's pretty mm-hmm. cool that <laughs> i wish there was a street named after him in boston but obviously it's a boston you and i growing up in boston no, it's not that kind of town but <laughs> it'd have to be in quincy and quincy's for the irish yeah. <laughs> but in any event like we cut back and um the uh the, they lose power so they obviously can't like uh all the all the instruments are like shot and and the mm-hmm. crowd gets restless and and the rest of his music the rest of his backup musicians run, run off stage but sam cook and sh- uh, like um tries to keep the crowd going with this um again traditional song about the chain gang which the crowd like goes into and um and Malcolm X like points to it as like an example. Like it's not only characters coming together, but we're also using film language. <laughs> like having mm. like by cutting away and using like again this big crowd. Gosh, I'm so happy to see production value movies again <laughs> where we could show a big crowd. <laughs> uh, it's kind of coming together in this way. Like so again, like between cutting back and forth between these two characters coming together and also the crowd coming together, like that's great. That's good. It's just like mm-hmm. a little too late little too uh too little too late at that point. Where like gosh, like we're an hour and thirty minutes into this two-hour movie, and we've been through like an hour of this long protracted discussion about like, oh, well, here's my philosophy, good sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, other than that, they they sit in the motel room and they go to the roof. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, pretty like and like you're right. Like the the part where I kind of like perked up again is when they actually leave and they're like, all right, let's like party a little bit. And I thought like, oh, maybe the conversation will continue. No, that's actually when the movie's like wrapping up, unfortunately. And I was like, oh man, but they were like, and also it's just like an opportunity for the production value to really shine. You know, it's like, it's 60s Miami. Like, come on, let's have some fun. (laughs) But you know, unfortunately, yeah, we're stuck in that room. So did they shoot this during quarantine? Is that why it looks? No, no, I don't think they did. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. (laughs) It's just it's a play and they they were locked there. Um, I, just, yeah, gosh, I just wish they could go somewhere else and and kind of, again, like feel like be human in a way. Like I feel like when they were locked in that hotel room and not having alcohol or just had ice cream or something, that was that was a good funny moment. It's like I th- I thought we were here to party. Like, do we have alcohol? Like, no. Um, uh, the the Muslim religion uh, forbids alcohol. Like, what do we got for food? Uh, ice cream, one flavor, vanilla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, even like Mike Nichols, when he adapted, you know, who's a very Virginia Wolf knew he had to at least get them out of there at one yes. point. So, yes. you know, you got to you got to change up out of, you know, an adaptation just a little yeah. bit. So, well, which makes me, I don't know, worry that they didn't give Regina King. They didn't have enough confidence in her to give her a bigger budget to mm. move the party somewhere else or say in more crowd scenes. I, I will say 
the the one other thing I loved is um, um, Lance Reddick plays uh, one of his one of his mm. bodyguards and uh, <laughs> Jamal X, I believe, is his name. Uh, Kareem X. Uh, oh, Kareem X. You're right. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. Jamal is another one of his um, another one of his bodyguards and acolytes, and, and oh, okay. he he just he just again a, 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 an actor of Lance Reddick's caliber just walks all over the rest of the production just. <laughs> I mean, and he's also, he's doing what he does best, which is, you know, like someone who's kind of in a, in an assistant kind of role, but he obviously has so much power over everybody. Yes. <laughs> like, that's just what Lance Riddick does. That's what he does in the, um, that's what he does in Lost. That's what he does in the John Wick movies. He's just like, he commands the room, even yes. though he's like not the one in charge, he still commands all the presence. Like, he's, he's the best. I love yes. him. <laughs> but again, this feels like a, a slightly missed opportunity in, in, the, and maybe it doesn't help that the material, like, again, flattens them out and you're stuck on a stage or something and they mm. just didn't adapt it enough to be a movie uh, or at least a more interesting movie, let's say. Uh, yeah. I will say I have one other huge uh, personal quarrel with this movie. Again, highly personal. Um, mm-hmm. Leslie Odom Jr. is a great um, singer incapable of being a great actor. I think he's okay in this movie. Um, and he's the man who shot him. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> sure. But um, <laughs> Sam Cooke is my all-time favorite singer. And I'm sorry, oh. Leslie Odom Jr., you are a great singer. You are not Sam Cooke. I am not going... Well, that's not fair. <laughs> I know it's not fair or whatever, but it was personal, okay? It's like saying... It's like if you told me, like, hey, I saw Queen the other night at, um, at, uh, at whatever, my big arena because they could still fill out arenas and i'm like yeah but freddie mercury's not there you didn't really see queen did you <laughs> oh yeah so, look adam lambert's trying his best okay <laughs> but still very personal a very personal gripe i have uh <sighs> being the, one of the biggest uh, sam cook fans out there so <laughs> oh okay oh the biggest sam cook fan. okay Virtue okay that was, bit, all right, that was a bit exaggerated <laughs> come <sorry>. on <laughs> this coming from the guy who likes weezer and interpol oh nice. sam cook my favorite <laughs> You don't Come know on, about Greg. my You're an all rock taste, kid. Okay? You're an all rock kid. You I will not be attacked, sir. <laughs> yeah, right. I am. You're on trial here, good sir. All right. <laughs> Throwing down. I've, I've, I've got receipts, good sir. Thank you I, very much. I, yeah, from like 2004 or whatever. <laughs> my musical taste has changed since then. Well, not with Interpol. I still love them, but <laughs> come on. No, no. Look, once you hit 16, your musical taste do not change. That's it. You're done. <laughs> okay. Well. Uh, I'm sorry. That's our that's our lukewarm take on uh, One Night in Miami. Um, mm-hmm. Not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. It just feels like a no, slightly just, yeah. missed opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now it's time for me to put you on trial, sir. Oh dear. Yes, because it's time for our patented segment, which we now end every episode with. Not spotlight anymore. I'm sorry, but it's time <laughs> for trivia challenge. <laughs> oh. All right. Really, you really biffed it last week, so I, 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 I have a sneaky suspicion. And I expect you to, to biff it this time. Um, All right, I have a sneaky suspicion you want revenge. I'd, so let's Not let's necessarily. See I'd, be, I'd be very happy if you got some of these right. Um, okay. Obviously, we're talking about the life of or a film based on the life of Malcolm X, and he famously changed his name from Malcolm Little to Malcolm X, and that got me thinking of um, other great uh, figures in history who have changed their names, uh, particularly actors and actresses. Now, I say that in no way wanting to equate the life of the great <laughs> uh, revelatory uh, Malcolm X to um, some, just some actors and actresses. I don't want to equate those two, um, but that's just a, fu- a fun little connection that we can make, okay? Yep. Again, Malcolm X showed uh, just a tremendous courage and bravery throughout his life. I'm not sure what the bravest thing that these actors and actresses have done, but... Uh, I don't know. Some of them, I think, have drunk in their own weight and liquor. Uh, but that's 
<laughs> That's the only clue I'll give you. So, John, we're talking, I'm going to give you the birth name of a particular okay. actor or actress, and you're going to have to tell me what uh, they're more commonly known as or stage name is. All right. Then. All right. I'm, I'm prepared. My body is ready. You're ready? Okay. Because I'm going to start yeah. out with an easy one. Okay. Okay. You ready? Number yeah. one, Michael Douglas. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this feels like a trick. Uh, is it Kirk Douglas? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, it's not Kirk Douglas. Um, this actor is still with us. Um, okay. Unlike the late Michael... great uh, Kirk Douglas. So, is it Michael J. Fox? No. Uh, no. Okay. Because yeah. I know he changed his name. Because again, like they have actors have to change their name because you know Screen Actor Guild rules yes, I'll, indicate I'll... that you can only have one actor under that kind of name. Yeah. So Well, not one actor. Like it, it just depends on like name recognition. Recognition. So mm-hmm. like Michael Michael B. Jordan goes by that because he doesn't want to be confused, obviously, with Michael Jordan, the athlete. Um, this was the case here. There were already uh, two Michael Douglases when this actor came up. First, the the guy in, from the streets of San Francisco and the talk show host. So mm-hmm. uh, he changed his name to Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah, and he chose oh. the Mr. Mom himself. Yes, okay. and he chose the surname Keaton because he was such a fan of Buster Keaton. So oh, that's the okay. other thing I didn't explain. I'll give you a little trivia behind. Uh, oh, f- behind oh, what fun! <laughs> yes, exactly. So even if you don't get it right, at least we'll have a little fun learning something. Uh huh. There we go. <laughs> yeah. All right, number two, Julia Wells. <sighs> Juliet Wells. Uh, would that be Julia Roberts? Uh, no, think a little bit more uh, in the past. Okay. Yeah. Um, Catherine Hepburn. I don't know. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, that would be Julie Andrews. Um, oh. Who went by uh, the name Andrews for her stepfather, Ted Andrews, who, um, fun fact, was a drunk who uh, once almost sexually assaulted her, but um, did get her the stage time she needed to develop her singing skills and, and launch her career. So a true Hollywood story, if you ask me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Happy ending, yeah, I guess. <laughs> right. Throws his hands up in the air. Just I don't. I'm not touching that any further. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> moving on swiftly. Which is what her father should have said. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Moving on swiftly. Number three, Archibald Leach. Archibald Leach. Archibald Leach. I don't know this one either. Fuck. I don't. Um, Archibald Leach. Think classic Hollywood. <sighs> I don't know many classic Hollywood actors. Um, Bullshit. But go on. I don't. I don't like old Hollywood. It's out of my hands, Daddy O. Come on, that's okay. old school. <laughs> it's Bonnie and Clyde, and that's it. Um, uh, Archibald Leach. I I give up. I I can't even venture a guess. Okay. Um, Gene Kelly. I don't know. It's, close. It's Cary Grant. Um, oh, okay. All yeah. right. Archibald, he was he was English, and Archibald didn't exactly sound American, which uh, which mm. was the style at the time to be American. <laughs> and also, like he had performing ten years under the name Archibald Leach. He didn't change it until 1931. Uh, I mean, the 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 kind of situation has switched because I feel like the more British sounding the actor, everyone's more intrigued because you can kind of like memeify it more, like Benedict Cumberbatch or Asan yes. Butterfield. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also cheaper to hire British actors, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, okay. Neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Number four, Audrey Rustin. Uh, again, I'm just gonna have to go by first name, Audrey Hepburn. Absolutely. Number correct, John. Booyah! Yeah. Got it. Um, she was born Audrey Rustin, but um, she did res- descend from a, a, a an aristocratic line, and her name was changed to Hepburn Rustin because it did sound more aristocratic. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, number five, Roy Shearer Jr. Roy Shearer Jr. Uh, Roy Schneider? Uh, no, think more classic Hollywood. I would say this might be familiar How to you. How about something contemporary? How about something <laughs> I'm getting born. to the contemporary <laughs> stuff. I'm, gr- I'm moving up to it, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, but I'll give you a, I'll, I'll give you a big hint. Uh, this might be more familiar if you watched a recent Netflix show from the great Ryan Murphy. Oh God! Ugh, no, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> um, that's the thing. You know, I you know I don't touch his stuff with a ten foot pole. Oh really? Somebody who who watched Ratchet. <laughs> he, my husband put it on, and I was there. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, okay, if you're not familiar, uh, uh, Tab Hunter. Tab Hunter. I don't. Tab know. Hunter. Well, close. It's it's Rock Hudson. Um, ah, Rock Hudson. The other famous gay. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and he hated that name, by the way. That's a fun fact. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it was a combination of the Rock of Gibraltar and the Hudson River. Um, and he hated and he hated that pseudonym. I don't know why. Um, That's so manly. I, exactly. No one could question it. Rock who, who wouldn't want to be named Rock? I mean, come on. Ask Dwayne Johnson. Exactly. It's now one of the biggest. It's the name to another one of the biggest stars in the world. Okay. Anyway, uh, number six, uh, Margarita Cancino. Selma Hayek. <laughs> no, again, more classic Hollywood. I'll just tell you, it's uh, Rita Hayworth. Ah, uh, okay. My yeah. my next guess was Marilyn Monroe. So <laughs> I don't have Marilyn Monroe on that on this list, even though that that would have been a big one. Okay, but um, yeah. Anyway, number seven, Dennis Puchinski. That would be Dennis Hopper, I believe. Uh, no. no. Ah, damn. All right, I give up. I don't know. Around the same era, um, Charles Bronson. Ah, Brunson. <laughs> yes, uh, it was a little too. Punk. It was. It was surprisingly a little too Polish. Um, <laughs> surprisingly. All right, number eight, Marion Morrison. Mary Tyler Moore. Um, no. Again, I'll tell you to go back to classic Hollywood. Also, <laughs> when are we going to get at least to the seventies? Come on, <laughs> I, I, we're getting there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Jeez. Okay. Um, one more time, please. Marion Morrison. Marion Morrison. <sighs> Lucille Ball. I don't know. <laughs> no. Well, John, I I thought you would have known this one. This is classic because not only you're you're sort of in the right era, but you're also the wrong gender. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a man named Marion, and um, he adopted the name John Wayne. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. All right, John. I'll I'll give you. I'll throw you a ball. I'll throw you a, a ball. Uh, excuse me. What's the, what's that expression? Yeah. I'll th- <laughs> throw me a bone. <laughs> yeah. I'll throw you a bone. Here. This is an actor um, who's still working. Has been in a movie in the past year. How about that? <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yes. All right. Number nine. Mark Sinclair. Mark Sinclair. Shoot. Um. Mark Ruffalo? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not. He doesn't share a first or last name. Okay. Um, um, Robert Downey Jr. No. <laughs> Come on, John. I know his, he kept his, his name. It was uh, Robert Downey Sr. Uh, yeah. He he prefers to go by his middle name, Vincent. Vin Diesel. There it is. Hey. Yay! Got it. Yeah. Hey, just took only two or three clues. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I'm not giving you any clues. I think you should know this one. Um, mm-hmm. Number ten, Natalie Hirschlag. Oh, that would be Natalie Portman. Of course. It's her paternal <laughs> grandmother's maiden name. So Yes. You know, like you said earlier, too Polish. I think we know what that really <laughs> means. <laughs> um, Look, we don't want middle America thinking you're celebrating the Seda on Friday. <laughs> yeah. 
Sean, why aren't you? Why haven't you been hired as an agent yet? Um, <laughs> you've got the brain for a PR man. All right, there you go. All right. Speaking of more PR nightmares, somebody who changed um, th- their name. Uh, number eleven, Ramon Estevez. That would be um, Ramon Estevez. So that's either one of the brothers. I'm gonna go with um, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen, John, you're close. It's not one of the brothers. Oh, really? Yeah, it's their father, oh, Martin. Sheen. Michael Sheen. Oh. Martin Sheen. Yeah, Martin Mike, Sheen. Michael. Michael. Michael Sheen's a different actor. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. <laughs> he's not even. He's across the ocean. So yeah, that that's, one's even close. Yeah. <laughs> All right, number twelve, Chan Konsang. Chan Konsang. Chan Konsang. That's gotta be. Um, would it be like Michelle Wu? No. Someone. Someone of uh, Asian descent. Well, it's, uh, that, yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> it is indeed an Asian name, John. Um, however, think think the other uh, think the other gender. Okay. Oh, sorry, uh, gender is a construct, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, Chow Young Fat. <laughs> nope. Uh, um, Steven Yoon. No. Uh, um, I will I will tell you this one at least shares part of their name. Chan Konsang. Chang. Oh, Jackie Chan. There it is. Yeah, got it. <laughs> Fun fact. So he moved to Australia and became an apprentice in construction. Mm-hmm. And his apprentice name was Jack, so he became Little Jack, which then became Jackie. Ah, and yeah. he got that nose fixed. So yes. then he was ready for Hollywood. <laughs> John, come on. <laughs> what? Have you seen his old nose? I, <laughs> I could I land a plane on no, that I thing. Did, I didn't know. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know he had uh, he had cosmetic surgery. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of noses, <laughs> number thirteen is Jonathan Leibowitz. That would be none other than the Daily Show man himself, John Stewart. Yes. Um, despite a name for the Marquis John, oh, of uh, course, Leibowitz is the uh, the name, the surname for his estranged father. Um, his parents mm-hmm. divorced, and he's estranged from his dad, sadly. So, yes. And I think he often jokes that he went by a different name because, again, that original name sounds too Hollywood. Yeah. If you know what I mean. <laughs> okay. Now let's go to the opposite of that, John. Number okay. fourteen, Thomas Mapother the Fourth. Oh God! <laughs> Why would he? T- that's an awesome name. <laughs> would they ever change it? Um, Tommy Lee Jones. Again, uh, no. I can only go by first name, so no, I have no idea. Uh, no, I, w- I would tell you to go by his middle name. Can you guess uh, another Tom with a a cool middle name? Tom Mathaford. Yeah. Mapather. Mapather. Yeah. No, I've got nothing. Nothing. Yeah, well. Nothing's coming to mind. <laughs> okay, well, he did go by his middle name, which, cool enough, is Cruz. So that's Tom Cruz. Oh, yeah. oh, I see. Yeah. So I don't know. Tom, I, uh, is that like a Scientology-approved name? Like, I, No, John. No, John. Uh, are you kidding me? If your middle name was Cruz, if you were Jonathan Cruz, would you not go by that name? <sighs> it's hard to say. How's it spelled? <laughs> is it C-U-Z? I would, I would, you know. C-R-U-Z. Me and my best pal Ted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's he's gonna. Yeah, we're gonna cast him as in the in the role of a day laborer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so John. Okay. So it's been a, it's been a tough round, but John, I'm gonna throw you one last one. All right. Okay. All right. This one does, this is designed specifically for you. Okay. All right. All right. I'm, and I hope you know it. Uh, if not, uh, you're gonna have to go home and shame and and uh, commit seppuku. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So the last one is Dante Terrell Smith. 
that would be um well he's gone by many names over mm-hmm. the years uh, but he's most known as most deaf even though now he goes by yasim bay john again you are like bruins goalie tuka rask because nothing gets past you <laughs> well except for every other question that <laughs> yes, round exactly, yes. but yes <laughs> i agree that was a tough round i thought you were more up to date on your old hollywood but fine fair enough <laughs> Greg, I gave you one last again, one. Again, that's old. That's old hat. Okay, that's not woke anymore. All right, I'm just so woke. I'm in the future. All right, I'm already like ten steps ahead. All right, I don't. I don't glamorize old Hollywood. Please mm-hmm. get it out of here. They're all they, they, mummify those corpses. Get them out of here. <laughs> I know they're all interned at Hollywood forever now, um, there which will be under oh, the ground and turned into affordable housing. <laughs> um, <laughs> or their heads are frozen in some other weird lab. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably off the grid. So. Mm-hmm. Do you think, actually, how many, uh, all right, wager, how many do you think have some kind of hologram program in the works? I guess, uh, well, I guess all of them now. Um, yeah, because technically, yeah, there's nothing stopping them from just mapping everybody, so. Yeah, I mean, at the Super Bowl, they brought out a, <laughs> um, uh, as some people affection or not so affectionately called it, uh, a Call of Duty cutscene of um, Vince Lombardi, the legendary Packers coach for the, uh, <laughs> For an ad for uh, before the Super Bowl, so really, I did not yeah. know that. No, I didn't hear anything about that. I, I, I'm sure everyone's convinced. Everyone's yeah. like, "Wow, <laughs> the dead walk again!" Yes, everybody loved it. Um, there's no yes. getting around it. Um, again, is it so expensive? Like SAG car? Like really? Is membership that expensive? You can't hire one SAG member. <laughs> I have to hologram everything. The, yes, all right, because it's not the future. All right, for, for us. You can't. You don't have to pay holograms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> holograms haven't used unionized yet, so there you go. <laughs> uh, again, more biting satirical political commentary from the aspiring snobs, which you can get if you follow us on social media. Absolutely. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Please go give us a, a like or a follow there, whatever they're, they're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know those are all the dinosaurs of platforms at this point. Um, <laughs> raging is the dying of the light, uh, particularly in Australia. <laughs> Again, current news. <laughs> but... Uh, we're we're on there, and again, we would really appreciate your support there, um, as well as on your pod, podcast service of choice, whether you use um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Go ahead, give us a, a like or a follow there, and um, mm-hmm. again, we'll continue doing a, a I won't say good show. We'll continue doing a show. Um, wow. Okay. Way yeah. to, way to oversell it, Greg. Gosh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Self-deprecating humor is coming back, folks. It's coming right, that back. Is also true. That is also true. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe. And then also, if you have any recommendations for us, you could always uh, shoot us an email at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, we'll maybe read your questions out loud if you so choose. You know, we'll protect your identity because obviously, you know, you don't want the shame of being read aloud by two canceled individuals such as ourselves, yes. two white devils. So, but uh, yeah, if you have any uh, recommendations for us to revisit, let us know. We're also getting to the advice game. Um, so if you have uh, advice on, say, your job situation or in the bedroom even. Um, yeah, you... or how to deal with a difficult in-law. We're there, okay? Yes, we're there for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now more than ever, we're mm-hmm. here for you. Yes. All right. <laughs> now, now more than ever. Um, which begs the question, now, does that imply that ever back in the past we weren't with you? Or <laughs> It's fine. Anyway, it's fine. I don't want it's this. fine. Yeah, it's fine. I don't want, Just to, don't I don't want to turn this into a BoJack Horseman joke. Um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> a 
Let's turn it into a Rick and Morty joke. Just don't think about it. Yes, okay. <laughs> Good job. One thing we will think about, though, and adjudicate now, is what we're going to be watching next week. Well, Greg, you know, Studio Ghibli has been celebrated for years, and they just recently released their first 3D animated movie, to much, to much chagrin of the, of the world that grew up watching, uh, watching their lovely 2D animated movies. So mm-hmm. I think we need to revisit one of their, uh, one of their seminal masterpieces. So we're going to be watching My Neighbor, Totoro. Yes, this is our second uh, Studio Ghibli joint. Uh, the first being Princess Mononoke, and now we're going to be watching by, by the magic of streaming services, thankfully. Um, On the worst streaming service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I haven't watched a whole lot. Um, I think we'll also be catching up on a few other recent releases, um, particularly uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Or, excuse me, um, it is called Judas and the Black Messiah, correct? Yes. That's okay, true. yeah. And then um, also Nomadland is also on streaming services. The 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 odds-on favorite to win all the big awards, um, if you were even <laughs> cognizant that they were happening this year. Um, exactly. <laughs> the one the one kind of movie that's kind of risen to the top because it had no contenders. Yes. So. <laughs> I, I have a sneaky suspicion it went to theaters, but I mean, how many theaters did it really actually open? <laughs> um, well, according to this Variety headline I just saw, uh, I believe 500 theaters and did make a $500,000, which right now is gangbusters, even under these conditions. So hmm. good, good for and, it. And, and uh, how much Chloe's did Hulu out. actually pay to to uh, to host it? Probably a few million, right? How much Probably what? Cool. How much did Hulu pay to host it? Well, I don't know. Well, I, I, <laughs> to tell you the truth, zero dollars because they're technically a. I think they were a 20th Century Fox concern, and then they ah. got bought out by Disney. Um, and Fox Searchlight produced Nomadland, and so I, I don't know exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's All why right. It's on Hulu and not on any of the, any of the other ones. Oh, okay. I thought it was going to be one of those uh, big, like, oh, it was a bidding war at Sundance, and then you know these people. Yeah, I guess yeah. It's the the futures or not the future. The the situation's less complicated than I was hoping it was. So. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry. Just, now I'm, sorry, I'm really John. depressed. Now I'm really yeah. depressed. <laughs> I'm sorry, John. I'll I'll tell you some juice, all right? I'll tell you some rumors oh. and juice. Um, oh. <laughs> but they'll have to wait till next week, all right? Okay. Not until next week. Two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. You're right. But until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. Ecstatic. 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 Classic. Flow. Super magic, black origin, crush me out of dopeness. Death me out of dopeness. Sketch another opus. Knock off this set, Brooklyn. We keep them open. The heavens expand, the stars advance, the level demand.